This is Cruise Radio. Now more than ever, you should consider trip insurance for any kind of trip you take, not just cruises. Get a free quote at tripinsurance.com. Broadcasting from the tripinsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. This is Cruise Radio. Cruise Radio. Hey, how's it going? My name is Doug Parker. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Cruise Radio. Very happy to have you here, my friend. A review of Valiant Lady this week. And as always, staff writer Richard Sims is waiting in the wind with Cruise News. And before we get to him, a big thank you to the Cruise Radio Extra Patreons over the past week. We have uh, Daniel, Christopher, John, Haley, Crystal, Michael, Dale, and Patrick. If you want to join the Cruise Radio Extra Patreon feed, it's patreon.com slash cruise radio. There you can also learn about the Cruise Radio Extra initiative, patreon.com slash cruise radio. All right, staff writer Richard Sims. Hey, my friend. Hey, Doug. So Carnival's oldest ship is back in service after a two-week dry dock. Yeah, as dry docks go, this one wasn't really wildly exciting, truth be told. The ship did get the new livery, which is always a nice improvement. You'll remember that was introduced back on Mardi Gras, and it's been rolled out across the fleet as ships went in for dry dock. But mostly Elation was just getting some maintenance touch-ups, things like that taken care of. Now, her spa was spiffed up a bit, and... Um, you know, I think they, they they did some interior stuff, but this wasn't one of those big dry docks. They She actually had a bigger dry dock back in 2017 and then another in 2020 when things like Bonsai Sushi and some extra cabins were added. Still, Elation has the distinction of being the oldest ship in the fleet, like you mentioned. She was introduced in 1998, technically right behind Carnival Sunshine, if you count her as the Carnival Triumph. She was rolled out in, in 1999, so they're really right around the same age, even though they don't really pretend that they, they pretend that sunshine was a new ship as opposed to you know a revamped version of the ship that nobody talks about now doug here's a trivia question for you elation and which ship are the only two fantasy class ships left in the fleet paradise that's very good you win something i'm not sure what we'll mail it to you whenever mm-hmm. it is oh good thank you Mm-hmm. So Royal is making something free that once had a cost attached. So until now, if you wanted to use Royal Caribbean's messaging app, it would cost you $1.99 a person per day. Not a huge fee, but if you're traveling with a bunch of people and you all want to be able to message each other, that definitely could add up. Now that's actually going to be free through their app, the Royal Caribbean app. Now, People get confused about the various cruise line apps, thinking that you have to buy an internet package in order to connect to the app, whether it's, you know, the hub on Carnival or uh, Norwegian's Concierge or, in this case, Royal Caribbean's messaging. And you don't. That's You connect to the ship's Wi-Fi, but you do not have to have a Wi-Fi package in order to do that. One thing I really, really like about the way Royal's app works is you can not only message other people on the ship, but you can create groups group chats among those people. And that's super convenient if you're, you know, say, trying to arrange dinner with friends and you have like, let's say you have four different cabins full of friends on the ship and you want to be making plans together. Instead of having to individually message them all, you can create a group chat that, you know, that allows you to get in touch with everybody at the same time and make plans. Now, the one thing you want to make sure not to do is send a message in the group chat that you really meant for one person that says like, <laughs> oh my God, they're such a pain in the butt, you know, because then you just inform the whole group chat. But uh, that's that's a really nice feature. And again, now on Royal Caribbean, that'll be included. And if you think about the consumer psychology, like you were just saying, 
hey, do you want to go to Chop's Grill tonight? Do you want to go up to the Crown Viking Lounge, whatever they call it? I think that could spark more people gravitating towards those pay venues because it's free to chat with each other. Definitely think so. And it just it just makes planning everything on board more convenient. Um, I will be honest, I have never used it in the past, mainly because, um, well, Norwegian's app... Um, which has a charge attached to it in order to use the chat the, the, the chat feature. It has never really struck me as being particularly good, but with Royal Caribbean now using Starlink, you know, that should really, you know, make it a much better experience than some that I've had in the past. I'll have to tell you off the air. I was on a, a Carnival Horizon sailing. It was the only time I've ever had the chat feature. And I, I made the mistake of, I thought I was talking to my buddy Craig, and I was in this group gaming chat. And uh, I thought it was just him and I talking off the cuff. Uh-uh. Like 25 people were in there. It was crazy. Oh, God. I can't <laughs> wait to hear what you said. <laughs> oh. But anyways, moving on. That uh, pesky rock slide in Alaska may go away soon. It's been a rough couple of years for Skagway, which is one of the most popular ports on Alaskan cruises. Obviously, there was COVID, which meant no ships and, by extension, no tourist dollars coming in, and they make a lot of money off the tourist dollars. Then, just as COVID was beginning to wane, there was a series of rock slides, and that led them to close down the railroad dock for fear that a bigger landslide was, you know, was definitely going to happen, and when it did, if they... If, if there was a big risk that it might, you know, wipe out some some of the dock, wipe out some people, even really, there was a lot of damage that could be done. So they ended up closing that down. But finally, they're well on their way to dealing with that problem, reopening the railroad dock. It'll be able to handle two ships. What I loved most was that in, like, sort of talking about this, the mayor of Skagway, Andrew Cremetta, he released this statement in which he admitted he's a total pessimist. He was like, you know, look, I'm not much of an optimist. But despite that, he thinks that this will be a record-breaking year or at least close to it for Skagway. And, you know, honestly, that seems very possible given the huge number of ships that are going to Alaska in the coming season. I mean, we just were talking last week about Princess and how Princess had like half of its fleet being deployed to Alaska. So there's a definite hunger for that market with it having been, you know, pretty much unavailable for the last two years. And Skagway is now well posed to uh, take advantage of some of that. And one Caribbean island is considering limiting the number of cruise ship visits. One of the buzzwords that's been gaining popularity over the past few years is over-tourism. Various popular travel destinations around the world are sort of throwing up their hands and saying enough because they feel as if their sites are being overrun. And this isn't just cruising. This is, you know, in, in other forms of travel as well. There are just certain areas that feel as if they've been overly inundated by tourists. And let's face it, we've all experienced it. I mean, heck, we probably hear about it where NASA is concerned. You know, it's not uncommon to see six ships or more in port down there. But I think the reason we don't hear about it where NASA is concerned is that so many people opt to stay on the ship. But if there were six, six ships in port and everybody got off, I mean, that would be insanity. So in this case, we're talking about Bonaire. And Bonaire is putting into effect a rule that says only one cruise ship per day can visit. A second ship can dock, but only if it has under 700 guests on board. Now, 
Truth be told, this rule was already in effect. It went into effect about a year ago, but because they had certain contractual obligations with cruise lines, it wasn't being fully enforced. Now, starting in April, it'll be one ship per day. In some ways, this is super smart on the part of Bonaire. I mean, they're making to their visits to their island something that's you know, a little unique. We've all learned about the law of supply and demand in high school. So limiting the number of ships which can visit each year, they're making it a destination that people really want to go to and that they may not be able to go to quite as easily because there won't be as many ships going there. That's the theory anyway. And of course, as an added benefit, it reduces the negative impact on the island and its environment because, you know, you bring in several thousand people every day and that that takes its toll over time. So overall, I think this is kind of a win-win because cruise lines will be able to say, hey, we're going to Bonaire and, you know, not everybody gets to do that. And the, the island gets to sort of protect itself a little bit from over-tourism. You know, it's not even fun getting off the ship no, with that many people. It, so. it really isn't. And when you're standing in line trying to get back mm-hmm. through through the, through the customs or whatever it is that you have to go through to get back on the ship and just especially around the port. Now, if you get off the ship and you, you know, take a, an excursion that takes you somewhere away from the main port, that's one thing. But if you're just like hanging out in port, it can get really crowded. And it, you're right, it is not a pleasant experience. So I think anytime, you know, you can either get, A, go somewhere that isn't as traveled, B, go there on a day when there aren't, you know, a lot of ships in port, or C, can go somewhere that's off the beaten path. That's a total win. And heads up if you're getting a passport soon. Yeah, I don't know if you've heard, Doug, but travel is back in a big way and mm-hmm. not just for the cruise industry. After two years of being, you know, basically housebound by the pandemic, people want to get back out into the world and explore it. And that means that people need their passports. And as it turns out, a whole lot of people just basically let their passports expire in the last two years because they were like, I'm not going anywhere. I don't need this thing. Unfortunately, the fact that they now want them to do traveling is causing a big old backup in the passport pipeline, which means longer waits. In fact, um, Congressman Jamie Raskin actually took to Twitter to warn people that it's now taking between 8 and 11 weeks for regular passport applications to be processed. And remember the old days when you could get something, you know, you could pay a little extra and get it expedited in Mm -hmm. like a week, maybe 14 days. Well, now it's more like five to seven weeks. That's considered expedited. So as uh, today's episode of Cruise Radio ends, you need to go find your passport and check the expiration date on it. If it's coming up, you know, Get that sucker, get your get your application in there and get that taken care of. You don't want to let that slide. July of 29. I'm looking at mine right now. <laughs> A little bit longer. And speaking of passports, our listener question this week is on that very same topic. Selena asks, I'm going on a cruise in December. My passport expires just three days after we're supposed to board. Will that be a problem? Well, yes. In fact, it probably will be, and here's why. The State Department recommends that anyone traveling with a passport makes sure that the expiration date is at least six months after the last date of your trip. Most cruise lines actually insist on that. They have it in their uh, terms of contract and all that and on their FAQs. Um, Another thing people don't realize but probably should is that an expired passport cannot be used. You know, you can't show up and say, well, I've got my passport. Here it is. They're not just using it as a photo ID. They're using it as actual, you know, the information on it has to be up to date and, you know, 
it has to be a current passport. I actually travel with both a passport and a passport card. A lot of people don't even know that passport cards exist, but they look sort of like a license and they fit really easily into your wallet. So usually a passport isn't required if you're on a closed loop cruise, which means you're sailing out of and returning to the same port. So like, let's say you're sailing from New York to the Bahamas and back and you're and you're both, both your starting point and ending point are the same. That's called a closed loop tour. And in that case, you don't need a passport. But I mean, I recommend that everyone have a passport with them. I'm a big believer it's better safe than sorry. And, you know, what if something happens and you wind up somewhere you don't intend to wind up, but you need a passport or you need to get home from somewhere and you need that passport. So, yeah, you will have a problem with a passport that expires three days uh, before or after. Again, like we were just saying a minute ago, especially with the uh, the backlog of passport applications, check your passport. Make sure you've got plenty of room on there, at least six months. And again, they look at six months not from the start of your trip, but from the end of your trip. So if your trip ends on, say, March 31st, then you want your passport to expire six – I mean, you don't want it to expire, but you don't want it to have expired any time before six months after March 31st. I don't know if you remember this or not, but when Ashley and I went to Vietnam back in 2019 and my passport was expiring, I think five months after my trip and it had to be six months and they were pretty, there were sticklers on that. So I had to drive to Atlanta and do the same day processing thing. And it was, it was a pain in the butt, but I got it done, but I had to stay in the passport office all day. You couldn't like just take your photo, give your application and leave. You had to actually legit wait there. And I was waiting there from 7.40 in the morning until 5 p.m. at the passport processing office in Atlanta. But a small price to pay for being able to go to Vietnam because I would have to miss out on the trip. I do remember that. And I wonder if, if that's even possible now. You know, so many government offices don't operate the same way they did before the pandemic. But a lot of government offices don't. I mean, I even I went to my doctor's office today to get some blood drawn. And, you know, they're very big on like, you know, limiting the number of people in the office and um, everybody being masked. So it's really worth checking. Don't assume that you're going to be able to just go down to the passport office and, and do that, even if it does mean waiting all day. You may not be able to. So really, when it comes to having your passport, check all the boxes and make sure you're in good shape. All right, staff writer Richard Sims. Thank you, buddy. Do you have a story or a tip to report? Let us know. Email tips at cruiseradio.net. A big question we get at Cruise Radio is, how do I know if I need trip insurance? Simple answer. If you're getting on a plane, taking a road trip, or getting on a cruise ship, you need to have travel insurance. Hey, it's Doug Parker for my friends at TripInsurance.com. Not, not only does TripInsurance.com protect your vacation investment, but it also gives you peace of mind in case anything were to go wrong on your trip. How do they do it? They offer three different types of trip insurance policies. Good, better, and best. One policy for every vacation budget. But it doesn't just stop there. They're up to 40% lower when you shop around on other comparison sites. Plus, TripInsurance.com offers 24-hour customer support before, during, and after your trip, online claims assistance, and travel alerts to let you know what's going on at your destination. But find out for yourself. Check out TripInsurance.com. Just back from a cruise? Let's talk about it. Email Doug at cruiseradio.net. 
last month, Kabir took an eight-night sailing on Virgin Voyage's Valiant Lady. It was an eight-night cruise out of Port Miami. He joins us on the line to talk all about it. How you doing, my friend? Very good, Doug. Great uh, to be here with you. Yeah, man. Good to, uh, good to talk to you. So you were on this eight-nighter out there down in Port Miami. Give me some pre-cruise thoughts. You're up in the, what, Toronto area? That's right. So it was a bit of a journey, of course. We have to fly into Miami. So we did the night before, which was smart because there was a snowstorm that day, Canada. But the pre-cruise thought was this was an eight-night sailing. It was a little bit longer, which we liked. I feel like eight nights, you know, that that last night on like the sixth night, if it's a seven-day, you kind of mm-hmm. mourn the loss of the cruise. At least you have an extra day. Uh, and that was our thinking. And it was a great itinerary to pick from as well on a, a, an incredibly unique ship. Now, the terminal is fairly new. It's about a year or so old at this point. What did you think about the new terminal once you got down to Port Miami? I loved it. I like that the cruise lines are putting effort into creating their own terminals and their own kind of brand as soon as you walk on board. So we walked into the Rockstar status entrance and then kind of whizzed through the rest of the ship. But interestingly, Doug, there were only about 820 people on this sailing. So when we walked in, there were only two other people in the terminal and we walked straight on board. I think from curb to ship, I want to say roughly five to seven minutes. Wow. Not, why, why so few people? I'm not too sure. I think it has to do a little bit with their pricing right now. I think that they're a little bit pricey, especially for the people that, that they want to attract. And I think they're new too, right? So people aren't going to flock to Virgin the same way that they are to Carnival and Royal Caribbean and Norwegian. I think those days will come, especially given the product that I experienced. But yeah, I was surprised to see that. that few. I don't know. Have you ever been on a ship in a pre-COVID world? had 800 people on it that was below 50% capacity? No, I mean, not until the the restart I did. My first one like that would have been uh, Disney Fantasy. I was on their very first sailing out of uh, Port Canaveral, and there was like less than 1,000 people on board, or like 776 or something like that. Wow. Yeah, it was a weird feeling, but in many ways, kind of made their product a lot nicer on the ship because you had so much ship to yourself. Yeah, it was kind of one of the, um, I guess... Good things, I guess, maybe that came out of COVID if you were cruising right when the, during the restart is getting a ship pretty much all to yourself. Oh, yes. Yeah, I sure. was privy to that a few times. Yeah. So you make your way on board, Valiant Lady. What were your first impressions like? And also, do you like when you're walking on board, are you walking into an atrium? Like I know how some cruises have that and some have like the hallways like NCL. When you walk on board, first of all, everything is is red. The gangway is red. Part of the terminal is red. So you walk on board and the crew greets you, of course. You've got people dancing and they announce you on like a megaphone, like, welcome aboard, Valiant Lady. You walk into the roundabout, which is kind of their central hub area. It spans over two decks between decks six and seven. In the evening, it's where musicians will play, but it's like this big semicircle staircase kind of um and that's what you walk into effectively with a, a dj playing as well now you mentioned that it, a couple extra dollars to cruise this one it's not a, as like a economical as like a carnival or a royal or whatnot but what are you getting as far as like what's included are you getting drinks wi-fi gratuities anything included with this so all gratuities are included, Wi-Fi is included, and the Wi-Fi was actually really, really good. Like we could stream Netflix, we could download, upload to Instagram. There was a lot of stuff on my Instagram stories that had no problem posting. Now, in terms of drinks, that's not included. There are certain promos that they launch before the cruise. So certain times it'll say if you book X amount of time in advance or a certain status of cabin, you'll get bar tab, which is effectively onboard credit used only for the bar. 
that will cover up to three, four, five hundred dollars. And the prices for drinks are relatively less than other cruise lines, too. So you're getting the Wi-Fi, you're getting all of the food. There's no upcharges for food except select meals in specific restaurants, but everything is included food-wise on the ship. Now, with there only being 800 and something people on board, were you able to go straight to your stateroom once you boarded? Oh, yes. We went straight up. So our first, I mean, we'll get to this, but our first room of two, because we did have to move, uh, was deck 14 aft. And it was what Virgin calls a sea terrace, otherwise translated to a balcony. So the first cabin was interesting. It felt really tight. So for anybody that's followed the development of Virgin Voyages, they started off with their room having a couch during the day and then converting it to beds. I didn't see one cabin configured with a couch. I think everybody scrapped that idea pretty quick Mm. and um, stuck to the bed configuration. So it was tight for two people, but gorgeous hammock on the balcony, which was nice. Um, And the shower, Doug, the shower was a rainfall shower. It was arguably the best shower I've had on a cruise ship other than when I sailed on Viking. Yeah, you don't really see those out there except unless you're like in the thermal spa, right? Exactly. Or in a suite. Sometimes suites will have that. But to have it in a balcony was nice. Otherwise, though, the bathroom was relatively tight. Mm -hmm. As far as like space for unpacking and everything throughout the week? There is a secret compartment that is next to the bed. It's usually where part of the sofa would sit. That actually flips up and opens, and that's a really good storage area. Otherwise, there is a small wardrobe. There isn't a ton of storage space. So be prepared especially if you're a couple, to be living a little bit out of your suitcase. So be prepared for that. For shorter sailings, I think you're okay. But for a seven night, uh, it was a bit tight. Gotcha. Okay. So let's talk about the food on board. Now, they came out really strong, Virgin did, when they first made the announcement that there will be no buffets on board. But I I guess when I went on there, it kind of seemed like a buffet, but just a mall food court. Right. This was an interesting concept because it was a little bit confusing. For traditional cruisers, we go upstairs to whatever the highest deck is. We go to the quote-unquote Lido Buffet restaurant. In this case, it's called the Galley. And we walked in and we were kind of disoriented because we tried to go up and order food. And they were like, no, no, no. You got to go sit. And there's a menu. So a server comes over pretty quickly. The service was really good. You place an order. And then there are still certain things you can go up and grab. So I think the first time that you go to the galley, you have to figure out what you pick up and what you order from the menu. And that does take some adjustment and getting used to. But once you get into the flow of it, it is kind of nice. Do I miss, though, going up to just order something and go sit down and how quick that is? Yes, I did. Towards the back of the uh, the buffet, whatever you want to call it, the food court, it, there's like a isn't there like a Mongolian walk place back there? Gun Bay is the ship's Korean barbecue restaurant, and that is toward yeah, that's aft on the port side of the galley. So it's a, a specialty restaurant by night, completely themed and everything. During the day, sometimes they use it for overflow seating. But yes. So every specialty restaurant on board is included in the price of your cruise? Every single one is included. So you're basically going on board, booking reservations through the Virgin app. It's very different. Like, I think starting off since we're at the beginning part of this review, I would say, very, very simply put, take all of the preconceived notions of what we think of when we think of a cruise and just get rid of them because every otherwise you'll get frustrated. So you book through the app, no problem getting reservations, especially because there were so few people on the ship. But overall, it was nice to go to a restaurant and not have that thinking of like, oh, is there a cover charge? What's being charged to my onboard account? So go on board with an open mind, it sounds like. 100% because I think 
the people who will do well on a virgin ship, especially for new people to the quote-unquote cruise world, would be people coming from resorts. It's very mm-hmm. resorty. In fact, if you actually look, it's Virgin Voyages. They're the cruise line that's not even calling themselves a cruise line, right? Yeah. Um, and they will never say the C word on the ship. They will never say cruise. They'll always say voyage and that uh, they'll call us sailors. Gotcha. So they won't say guest. They won't say passenger. Very interesting how they have their own lingo. Now, if you wanted to eat at the seafood steak, I think it was called Wake, I think on the, um, or at least it was on, is it the same restaurants on both ships? Because I was on uh, Scarlet Lady. Yeah, they're pretty, they're pretty much carbon copies. Okay. Uh, so the Wake, yeah, deck, uh, I want to say deck six aft. Mm-hmm. That was a beautiful place. Wow. Um, so we ate there on the second night. Yeah, that was, it was interesting. What I found fascinating about the ship was it's very Instagram worthy. I'm sure you found that when you mm-hmm. were on Scarlet, but the other thing was there were certain things I, I think that need adjustment. Like the tables were very, very close together in the wake for us. But in turn, the restaurant was gorgeous. The food was pretty good and the view was great. So it was a bit of a plus and minus in terms of, of how that restaurant was laid out. How does it work if you, you're on an eight night cruise? Could you eat in the wake all eight nights if you wanted to, since it was all included? Absolutely. You could eat there as many times as you want. And even on sea days, if you wanted to go there for lunch and for dinner, you could do it. What other dining experiences did you have on this eight night? Every single one. We went to every single restaurant. And that was the benefit of being on an eight night. So starting off on that first day, we went to the galley. Then we discovered the dock house, which is deck seven aft. It's the part of the ship. If you ever look at it, um, they have the, the ship superstructure that goes up with the balconies and everything. And there's a part of the that deck that's just open. That's the dock house. And they actually have a secret menu. So not only can you get drinks, but as you're sitting outside, kind of al fresco, you can order these that's like watermelon with feta. You can have like couscous and beetroot hummus and this nice strawberry chocolate and pretzel dessert, which was really lovely. And that's a bit of a secret. They don't have that published anywhere that they have additional stuff on the menu. So that was quite nice. Uh, and we tried every single specialty restaurant from top to bottom. Now, if you can recall each one, can you give us a little highlight from each one you went to? Yeah. So obviously we have the galley. Um, I really like their peanut butter and jelly sandwich as well as their breakfasts were really strong. In terms of gunbei, the Korean barbecue, that was the most interesting because you interact quite a bit with the server. They're with you for about 40 minutes cooking with you. That was I would say a not to miss experience. The wake was beautiful. I found the food there to be pretty good. It wasn't my favorite restaurant though on the ship. It looked pretty, but it didn't deliver 100% and I felt really tight in there. Razzle Dazzle is one of the um, more traditional restaurants, but even Virgin's version of traditional is not traditional. So this was, it's red and black and All the food there is really interesting. So you can either have a naughty or nice breakfast. We didn't get to try that, but we tried their dinner. They have really good vegan options. That's the vegan restaurant. Test Kitchen was, I would say, my favorite dining experience on board. If you do get on board one of the version ships, do that with either a wine pairing or a beer pairing. It's $25 or $35 for the whole thing. And then you basically get like six or seven beers. And these are not... The tiny little flight of beer. These are full beers. I had to call friends to help me complete this pairing because it was quite a, <laughs> quite a bit. Um, but yeah, so and then in the test kitchen, there are there's two different menus as well. So do find out which menu that they are offering. So those were a few of the the options to eat. And I thought they did food quite well on Virgin because it was so distinctly different. Any casual like poolside eateries or pizzerias up there? 
the pizza on Virgin. It's literally the pizza place. That, I think, is the best pizza I've ever had at sea. And I've had them from every major line. Virgin has the best pizza. And they're really, really efficient. And they even give you a little box to go carry it and take it wherever else you'd like to take it. Nice. How, um, I guess, how involved is the Virgin app on uh, throughout your voyage? The Virgin app plays a bigger role than it does on other cruise lines. I would say that you would have challenges if you didn't use the app for things on the ship. There are certain things that you do have to book reservations for, despite the ship even not being full. They still wanted you to have reservations because there were capacity limits. So just for that alone, I would say that that's number one. The other thing is shore excursions. Most of their shore excursions happen through the app. You go through the app and you click what you'd like to do. The daily schedule, for example, it doesn't get sent to your room. It's all through the app. You can pick up a paper copy if you really want to, but otherwise it's going to be through the app. So I would say without the app, your cruise experience would definitely, definitely be impacted negatively. Gotcha. Okay. I know that I've, I've heard of some glitchy experiences on the app throughout people's sailings. Do you have a pretty seamless uh, experience? We did. But I think the pre-cruise experience shows a bit more of the glitchiness of the app. But this is something I spoke to a lot of the crew about. And I do want to talk about the crew and how Virgin's approach to customer service is different. But first, even they themselves recognize that the app needs to have a little bit of work. And apparently it is something that is in development with Virgin. Do all the restaurants have menus now or are we about are we still using QR codes? No, 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 no. They all have menus. Okay, good. <laughs> they all have menus. I don't. I think the QR code got a nice resurgence through yeah, it the sure pandemic. It, it was the thing that that just didn't die because of it. <laughs> yeah. um, but I'm glad that the menus are back. I think it's a lot quicker and a lot easier to order through the menu. How was the entertainment on this eight night cruise? Okay, this is something that Virgin really shines with, and I'm not gonna hold back by saying I think that. A lot of cruise lines have stepped up their game entertainment-wise. I think Royal Caribbean is amazing at their entertainment, and I think world-class, industry-leading, in my opinion. Virgin's approach to entertainment was very different, very to my taste, very camp, I would say. But also, at the same time, what was interesting is every single show has its own cast, and that cast performs that show, and that's it. So you're not seeing as much cross-utilization that other cruise lines have necessarily done. That led to a really refined entertainment experience. For example, the Red Room is quote-unquote perceived as the main theater, the main showroom on at the front of the ship. It's similar to Norwegian Prima in the fact that the seats retract, but it's so much more versatile because for one show, it's the untitled dance show party thing. Doug, you basically walk in, the whole theater is just effectively a nightclub with a stage and you're standing kind of dancing along to the entire show. And then the stage moves during the show. The, the stage fully moves to different parts of them. They, they get you to move around it. And it, it was absolutely mind blowing. And then they have an acrobatic show where it's more stadium style, where a certain selection of the seats are actually on the stage itself. So I got some great footage of that. That's going to be in my YouTube review um, as well. So make sure to go ahead and look look for that because you'll see it what were your thoughts of the back of the ship there the aft where the dj spins and there's that net hanging over the water i love that area mm -hmm. um we, i didn't end up going upstairs to the net quite as much that that area wasn't as utilized funny enough 
that area is right above where my original cabin was. And I had to move because the baseline could be heard at like two, three, four in the morning um, from there. So we moved from deck 14 after deck 12. And funny enough, not all balcony cabins are created equally. The cabin that we moved to was even though it was the exact same cabin per se, it was about, I would say a foot to two feet wider than wow. The cabin on deck 14 aft. Yeah. It's almost like they were running out of space. So they they got incrementally smaller. The exterior part there on deck 14, that net was not as utilized as I would have thought. However, I think that the pool area was utilized way, way, way more. How many pools are out there on their, I guess, Lido deck? There's two technically. So the main pool, it kind of has this like splash area and then the actual pool. The actual pool, look, it's not that big. You're not going to be swimming laps in it. You're mostly getting in it to cool off because you've been in the sun too long. But it's very beach clubby and I really enjoyed it. Now, with only 800 people on the ship, I think it was the perfect amount of people on board. I do think that if the ship was full, you would be seeing that in a very different light. I think it would be too tight, but we managed to get like one of those loungers right next to the pool on the first sea day. And it was amazing. Very cool. How was the ship uh, as far as crowds and congestion on sea days? No crowds, no congestion. But again, I don't know how fair it is for me to say that just because the ship wasn't full. Sure. But part of it could also be that um, who knows if they actually want their ships to be 100% full. I'm not too sure what the business plan is from that perspective, because I felt that the ship really felt well utilized and there was a really good amount of space for everybody based on the amount of people on board. And I thought the ship just did an amazing job. Interestingly, though, I'm going to mention a little bit about Scarlet Night, which is the ship's main theme party theme event. I have never in my entire career traveling working on ships, whatever, seen a theme night so effectively utilized throughout the entire ship. Scarlet Night happened throughout the entire ship and ended with a pool party. And you would not think that the ship was only a quarter or a third full. It was packed. Everybody was up there and really wanted to get in on this party. That was amazing. Like what was going on out there? So they have the certain performers they have like the host team that all have their own individual titles kind of performing throughout the ship at every single venue and you can follow them but even if i went from for example the roundabout down to the dock house which is deck seven midship to deck seven aft you would suddenly see a different performance happening there and then the you'd see the entertainment crew meet you somewhere else on the ship and it was amazing then when you go upstairs they have this big party on the pool deck all the performers the dancers are there the ship's drag queen is there and then um Basically, you just get in the water. Everybody just got in the pool. Uh, it, it, that is a was a big highlight for something that's going to be on my my review as well. But it was a very very interesting atmosphere and probably the best party I've ever had on a cruise ship. Question: Because uh, again, going back to, I only had a very limited experience on there, and I didn't get the experience like any of the big parties or anything. But you mentioned drag queens on board. How in your face are they? If if a, say a listener wasn't comfortable with that. It's as much as you want to seek it out there. They have their own shows and stuff too. So that happened in the manor. That was a great show. They're not in your face very much at all. It's not like that. If you want to watch their show, you can, if you don't want to watch it, you don't have to. And otherwise they made an appearance up at the pool deck, which was amazing as well, but not very much in your face. I think that was an area that Virgin had to, it's a give and take, right? You start off very 
extroverted. And I think that they did slowly reserve themselves a little bit. And I think that that was very welcome because otherwise, at the end of the day, it's a holiday. You want to make sure that not everybody's in your face all the time. And I did feel them slightly pull back on it. And it was the perfect amount of give and take. Gotcha. Very cool. Now, probably if you walk into a drag brunch, it'll be a little bit different, though, because it's it's <laughs> it's a drag brunch. So, yeah, I mean, you signed up for drag right, brunch, exactly. right? And even the drag show, the drag show was OK. It was just a lot of fun. But I will I will mention uh, do you when you were on Scarlet Lady, did you get to check out the manor? Is that the one that where you walk in and it's very like with the mirrors and stuff, the hallway? Exactly. It's the yeah. ship's nightclub, which mm-hmm. by yes, the way, I, I mean, look, you're getting a bunch of drunk people to walk through a mirror maze right. to get <laughs> exactly. out. So that was fascinating. But um, the manor is actually named after Richard Branson's recording studio or the recording studio that he met his wife at. And so it's interesting how that translated to the ship. And I thought the nightclub was so incredible in the sense that it's a great nightclub. It also has a stage that raises and lowers. So you can have different shows in there and they really utilize that space exponentially well. It was incredibly designed. How about the smoke situation in and around the casino? Actually, can you even smoke uh, in the Virgin Casinos? I'm going to go ahead and say no, because the amount of times I walked through the casino, especially because the entrance to the manor is right there. I didn't experience smoke in the casino at all. I'm going to go on a limb here and say I don't think that you can smoke in the casino based on my experience. I could be wrong, but I didn't experience that not once throughout my time on the ship. All right, let's talk about the ports on this eight-night cruise. Give us a first port, a highlight, and we'll move right on to the next one. So we started off in Puerto Plata in the Dominican Republic. What we ended up doing that day is we went to a beach club. Um, The beach club experience, it was an excursion. We weren't a big fan of that excursion at all, but there was some good snorkeling there, and I'll give that credit where credit's due. In Puerto Plata, there's actually a really nice port area with a a pool and a bar and everything. That was a really nice place to spend the day as well. Uh, But of course, if you want to get out and see the Dominican Republic, I highly encourage you to do that as well. So that was great. Uh, The next port was San Juan. That's always a crowd pleaser. I loved it. We were next to Carnival Mardi Gras and Carnival Magic, which were nice to see other cruise ships, especially Mardi Gras. She's beautiful. Uh, the port itself was great. We did a bit of a, a tour walking through the streets, a self-tour rather, um, as well as going to this new section, this T-Mobile entertainment section, which was amazing. So that was great. And then after that, we were in St. Croix in the U.S. Virgin Islands. The weather wasn't the best that day. It was relatively cloudy. However, we went to a private hotel kind of beach area which was relatively rocky so you had to be careful where you're swimming especially because it was so wavy but it was a ton of fun um saint croix being part of the u.s virgin islands you could sell service there as well so that was nice and then the final port of call was bimini bahamas and specifically the beach club at bimini which virgin owns and it's just like if it was a private island, like Royal Caribbean has Coco Cay, this is kind of their private island, quote unquote. And it's it's an incredible beach club. It's beautiful. The water was perfect. You could see straight down to your feet. If I was standing in the water, I could see my my toes. It was amazing. Um, and the food was really good on the beach too, of course, provided by the ship. I would definitely go back to Bimini Bahamas just for a holiday for a week. It was that good. And the beach club really elevated that experience. So if your itinerary is going to Bimini, make sure you get off the ship and go to the beach club. You will love it. How does it work with drinking at the beach club then? Like, is there is it a wristband thing or... Is it like uh, a la carte type? Can you buy a package? So 
Virgin's whole, so to answer that question directly, when you have your wearable on, which is your, your room key, your everything, uh, you charge everything through that. It's just like going to a private island with any other cruise line. It all gets charged to your onboard account. Drink prices are the exact same. However, in terms of Virgin's drink situation, they don't have drink packages. Basically, you can get a certain amount of bar tab or before the cruise, they'll say if you load $300 of bar tab, which is money to be spent toward alcohol on the ship, they'll give you an additional 100 And that's kind of their drink package system. And then basically you use that amount of, of bar tab until it runs out and then it charges your credit card after that. Okay, so Porta Plata, that's also where Carnival's Amber Cove is located. How far are these two ports away? Do you know? We actually drove past it. Okay. Uh, it's about 30 minutes or so. I'm not sure what direction it is, but we did see a couple of Carnival ships and Norwegian ships in port in Amber Cove. Now, Amber Cove, they have their own section of Amber Cove, correct? Yeah, Carnival developed that back in 2015 and opened it in the spring of 16. Interesting. Yeah, we we drove past it and ended up going to a different beach club, which, I mean, uh, the cruise line built areas are usually well done, mm-hmm. especially in this day and age. But uh, yeah, we did get to see those ships in port. Any late night stays? San Juan was a late departure. San Juan, I think, was a 10 or 11 o'clock departure. Okay. Uh, something, that, something else I love is that the ship actually, depending on what port it's sailing out of, has nice little sayings on it. Like when it leaves from Miami, it says iHeart305, which is Miami's area code. When it sailed from Puerto Plata as well as San Juan, it said Ola, which I thought was, I, I just think that's so cute. Yeah. <laughs> they do that. And you're back in Port Miami. How was Debark? Unbelievably smooth. Literally, we just walked off the ship. And went through customs, which took a minute, maybe two, and we were off. I would say from ship to Uber in less than 10 minutes. Pretty fast. Any first time tips for Valiant or Scarlet Lady? Absolutely. I have a few and more so than I'd give on other cruise lines just because of how different that experience is. And I'm going to go back to my first thing that I mentioned. Get rid of any preconceived notions that you might have brought from other cruise lines. This is not that. Entertainment wise, go to every single thing. And the reason is... Every single performance in the manor, in the red room, or at Scarlet Night is unique. And it's it's very different than what you'll find on any other ship. So I really enjoy that. Go to Razzle Dazzle and try out their naughty or nice breakfast on sea days. I heard it was amazing and I'm sad that I missed that. And the other thing I would say is get ready to enjoy the nightlife. They really do shine at doing that exponentially well and be prepared to take a lot of pictures because so many portions of the ship are gorgeous it is more expensive be ready for that but what i would say is make sure that you follow along for any promos that could be coming up especially if you get additional bar tab or onboard credit depending on how much money you load onto your account or what type of cabin that you purchase. Sometimes you can even bid to upgrade to Rockstar status, which is like a a suite or mini suite. So look out for those promotions and go in with an open mind. Looking back on this eight night cruise, what was the biggest highlight for you? Scarlet Night. 100% Scarlet Night was the highlight. That was so much fun. I would love to go back and repeat it again. They even had their own song for Scarlet Night. It was great. (laughs) Final thoughts of Valiant Lady. I think she's a great ship. She is very focused inward. It's harder to see outside, but in many ways, there's so much to look at in terms of the ship itself. So go in there, experience everything, and make sure to bring a red outfit. 
We've been talking with Kabir about his eight-night cruise on Valiant Lady. And you mentioned earlier you're going to have a ship review on this. Where can we find it? That is going to be on my YouTube. So that's at Travel with Kabir CD. You can find it through my Instagram as well, which is Instagram.com slash Kabir Bagaria. And uh, hopefully we can link to it or something. But that will be out, of course, uh, for you guys to watch very shortly. Yeah, because I've known you for a decade and I still can't spell your last name. So <laughs> that's okay. Kabir, good talking to you, my friend. Thanks again. Thanks for having me, Doug. All right, Dougie, let's see what we got for you, buddy. Cruise Radio is produced at the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. Get cruise news, ship reviews, and money-saving tips every Thursday on Cruise Radio. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show. If you want to help spread the word, give Cruise Radio a five-star review. Find Cruise Radio where you listen to your favorite podcast, or online at cruiseradio.net. I'm your announcer.